of my thinking in creating that thread was to get folks to evaluate the way that we have used grades as a system of rewards and punishments and what that is doing to children of color because I've seen so many kids feeling insecure about their ability to learn. Welcome to TG2Cast. I'm Arthur Caravelli, co-founder of Teachers Going Gradeless. My guest today is Julia E. Torres. Julia has taught language arts for 13 years. Currently, she is an AP English language and literature teacher at a public high school in Denver, Colorado. As a teacher activist committed to education as a practice of freedom, her work is grounded in empowering students to use the language arts to fuel resistance and positive social transformation. Ms. Torres facilitates workshops and professional conversations about anti-racist education, social justice, and culturally sustaining pedagogies. She serves on several boards and committees promoting educational equity and progressivism. Julia, welcome. It's great to have you on today. So we're doing this interview on a Friday. How was your week? It was great. It was great. I got to teach The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo this week with my AP Lang students. They're looking at how form impacts function, and they're also looking at style. And that book has a really engaging, culturally relevant um, plot and amazing characters. And it's, it's full of pop culture references and very, they're able to connect to it really well. So that was just fun to teach and we're able to listen to the audio version with the author reading to us so that was definitely a highlight of the week wow and is this the the first year that you're teaching this it is it is it's a brand new book the kids were just asking me that the other day actually miss when did this book come out and i told them march of 2018 and they were so excited to have a brand new book that is actually published this year that they're reading so um, I was really blessed, and I got a donor's choose, or actually it's a GoFundMe that I set up, funded in about 12 hours oh my so gosh. that I could get a class set of the books. I know, right? Isn't that a miracle? It was it's, so cool. It was so it cool. It seems like you have a couple of those books that you've been able to do this year where it's just like you've been able to get something very recent. Yes, I am really passionate about this whole renaissance that we have going on right now Mm -hmm. with young adult literature that is meticulously crafted and then also culturally relevant because it works so well for what I'm trying to do in the classroom. This week, it looked like some expert groups. I do a lot of side-by-side teaching with the kids. They, everybody has a Schoology account, and then they also, we use various Tech 2.0 tools. This week it was Prezi. So the class divided into small groups. They each had a character. They had to find a picture that symbolized that character, several quotes that illustrated style, and, and talk about the style in the quotes that were referring to that character, and then also what the quotes told us about the character. And then they also had to find a text-to-text, text-to-self, text-to-world connection. And what they'll do with that Prezi, next week they'll have expert groups where they'll teach to each other the finer points of what these characters mean. I like to have the students, whenever possible, take on that mantle of expertise because Mm. I think that that helps transfer power in the classroom, but it helps them take on a sense of ownership. 
So yeah. when you are responsible for teaching classmates about theme, about uh, poetic elements, about figurative language, about the way that a character grows throughout um, the development of a plot, the whole class conducts itself differently when that's the setup versus me, for example, giving some notes on it and then right. having people do some journaling where they're reading and looking for the things I have told them to find in the text. That's very cool. I feel like with the college board breathing down my neck all the time, I sometimes turn right around and just kind of exert that same influence on my students. And it's not a good thing. Yes. And I think one of the things that we can do as AP teachers yeah. is free ourselves from the feeling that because the college board is breathing down our necks mm -hmm. to a certain extent and AP writing and reading is to some extent very artificial. Yes. When are you ever going to have to write an essay in 45 minutes again mm -hmm. that is meticulously crafted? You're not right. going to have to do that again. Right. So we're training children to do something that is very artificial. But, and there's a way to do that. There's, you know, all kinds of strategies and techniques to do that. But that doesn't mean that we have to let go of the fun that comes from reading something that you personally connect to. And then the transference of skills from analyzing that piece yeah. to analyzing a piece on the test. Yeah. All right. Well, I just want to say when I followed you previously and I found that Twitter moment of yours a while back, I just had to reach out. As I said to you then, you seem like a teacher with a very strong why when it comes to going gradeless. Just quoting from that Twitter moment that you had, and it's just a great thread. This year, my grades will be rooted in students attaching their best evidence to a portfolio that will support their statements. My resistance against a system that would commodify something as beautiful as the learning process starts here. And you had a lot of wonderful things in that thread, a lot of heavy things in that thread. Uh, you said decolonizing, neo-indigenous practice, the psyche and soul of kids in urban schools, problems with pitting students against one another. That was a lot of that was a lot of material there. But I would wonder if you could just elaborate on any of that. Why and why you see grades as a part of that kind of larger why that you have? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I can say that when I wrote that thread, mm -hmm. it was really a meditation on what I have seen mm -hmm. very often in my environment, which is kids pitted against one another. And yeah. that happens so often in communities of color. Mm -hmm. We are either divided against each other and or pitted against one another. And dividing people is actually part of the process of pitting people against each other. You set up a right. system of competition as the way that you get ahead. And that mm -hmm. is very Western and it's also very patriarchal. Yeah. And that's not necessarily something that is natural to folks who come from a more communal society. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my thinking in creating that thread was to get folks to evaluate the way that we have used grades as a system of rewards and punishments and what that is doing to children of color because I've seen so many kids feeling insecure about their ability to learn. Not even insecure about what they've done, but their ability to learn. And who are we as adults and a system to make someone feel insecure about whether they can learn or not? That's wrong. Yeah. And I see that as a trauma 
that has happened to many children of color. So they go along throughout the school system, and by the time they get to me, they're in 11th or 12th grade, Mm. But then they also have a very jaded attitude, a lot of them, and they think that school is just a game that they need to learn how to play. And if they learn how to play it well enough and they learn how to be complacent or complicit or follow instructions well enough, then everything's going to be good. And that is also very problematic where we have a system that is encouraging black and brown children to play a game or to learn how to be obedient to their mostly white teachers. That's Mm -hmm. really problematic. And it creates a society where people are servile. And that's not good. I would say that a big part of the process when a student arrives in my class is helping them unlearn Mm -hmm. some traditional or long-held beliefs about themselves. Yeah. Because when students come into my class, they usually are very insecure because of the title AP. And they've been told or indoctrinated to believe that AP classes belong to a certain type of student. So there's that piece that has to be unlearned. As far as the how, the majority of the things that we do in class are collaborative. They are using Tech 2.0 tools. I try to have kids do authentic assessments, meaning that your piece is going to be published online or Mm. posted somewhere in the community, or you're actually creating a social media campaign for a nonprofit. You're doing something that has real-world implications rather than just creating an assignment for English class. But sometimes we're practicing skills. And so when we're practicing skills and not doing an assessment, you're going to have something you're doing that really is just for the purposes of being, it lives in our class space. It doesn't go outside. So I've published things before on medium.com. Kids have done mini posters with sound clips of them reading quotes and discussing people like Audre Lorde and George Jackson, and then talking about what it really means to speak truth to power. I've had kids um, write bubble scripts for and produce short videos on Flipgrid. There are a variety of little things that we'll do that are some of them practice pieces and then some of them actual assessment pieces. The feedback that they get is in the conversations we have. Mm. It's in the written comments. It's not in the end letter grade. Because I find there's way too much emotional attachment to a number or letter grade. When someone gets a 70%, they feel some type of way about it, and they think that you feel some type of way about them. Versus, instead of giving the 70, you give a pass, and then you say, okay, according to what you know about what exemplary looks like, what are your next steps? How can you make this better? What would you do differently next time? So you pretty much maintain just kind of pass, fail, up to the end. I do. And so in my grade book in Schoology, it is pass, fail. But if students don't do an assignment, then it's a missing, which winds up being a fail. So it does, after a while of having numerous assignments in there, it does wind up giving them something along the four-point scale, like a 2.8 or a 3.5 or a 2.7. And that will convert to a letter grade. And that's how I calculate my, I do my letter grades on a weekly basis. Then at the end, we have the grade justifications and the reflections that line up with their portfolios. And we talk about what an A really means in the class. What does a B mean consistently? What does a C mean? Those types of things so that we kind of agree, this is what you've got. And why? So that's kind of a collaborative process of determining what we're going to assign 
to that uh, quality of work. Definitely. And they tried very hard in the beginning of the year to move me from that stance <laughs> because all other teachers that they have are using the system of points and rewards and punishments. And I'm not saying that to be critical of my colleagues, but that's just traditionally how it's been done. So right. I'm the only one who's really doing it this way. Now, you teach in Denver, Colorado. You mentioned, kind of as we were going back and forth, uh, your blog post, also um, the Twitter chat to some extent, that going gradeless is, quote, extremely challenging in an urban environment. And I'd like you to explain, you've already talked about some of the challenges, but can you talk in particular about some of the challenges you face in bringing this approach to an urban setting? And how do you deal with some of those challenges? I would say the number one challenge is that the mentality is that grades, as I explained before, are a social currency. They're a way that people assign value to the learning that's somewhat artificial. For me, the learning needs to be as much about your maturation as someone who is seeking and always wanting to know more and to grow as a human being. Mm. To me, it needs to be as much about that as it is about the performance component. A lot of kids have been groomed to think that they are an A student or a B student, or that if you are getting all A's because their parents are more traditional in terms of having come from a different generation where there was no conversation about going gradeless, they just know that they want their kids to have A's. They're from a hardworking immigrant community. To them, A's and B's is a currency that means socioeconomic progress. It means their child is achieving more than they possibly have achieved. It means that their kid will be able to go on to have opportunities that may, they may not have had. So you can't disregard or disrespect that. You have to be aware of the ways that, that people's culture um, comes into play when they're thinking about what grades mean to them. But then also, it's hard to get too progressive when you're messing with people's cultural values, but also it's important to say, okay, in our classroom community, this is what this means. And that is okay. That is something I do have, I do feel empowered to have a say in, is the way that things look and feel in my classroom community. Another challenge would be that no one else is going gradeless. A lot of folks in my environment come in and out. They come in and out of the school, They come in and out of teaching. They come in and out of positions within teaching. So there's a constant state of movement, whereas other environments that I've been in maybe have the same teaching faculty for 12 years. No one leaves. So they have time to really get on the same page, and everyone's building practices together and learning from their mistakes together, and the program just grows. But there's a high state of instability in my environment. It just does not bode well for progressive practices. And you mentioned kind of the need for us to understand that one of your blog posts, I thought in particular was amazing, is just your reflections on going across town, working with a a very progressive school, and wondering about is is that exchange going both ways? Is is there any sense in which these these teachers or these kinds of teachers from a suburban environment 
have any sense of, you know, not only the situation that urban schools face, but also maybe some of the expertise and competencies that they might be able to get out of that. I don't think anyone's really coming to my neighborhood to look at how we do things in schools. I think in general, there is a disregard and sort of a, a lack of awareness or respect for the work that people in urban schools are doing because, it's a, as I mentioned, it's a highly unstable environment. So you have to adjust your teaching to really know how to go on the fly. This is the hardest teaching assignment I have ever had. And I have taught in a large district. I've taught in a medium size and a small. And the smallest district I taught in was in an extremely affluent area. And this is so much harder than that. I'm not trying to be dismissive of what anyone else is going through in any other parts of Denver. But I know because I travel all around Denver and I have colleagues who work all around Denver that what I'm dealing with forces me to be better constantly, forces me to change gears constantly. And now that's not necessarily healthy. It's very difficult to always have to adjust not only your practice, but the way you relate to children, to have to evaluate what you're doing always. It would be much easier if I could just get into an environment with the same people who stayed in the same place, who taught generation after generation of kids who were coming from pretty stable conditions. Um, It would be much easier to do that. But I do think that this has made me a better teacher, being in this environment. And I think there has to be greater transparency and an exchange between people who are working in urban ed and people who are outside of it. Mm. So segregated educational system and expect equitable outcomes for all. So that's part of it. And then I think that we also have to look at going gradeless and all progressive ideologies as something that you get the freedom to do when you're not in an environment that constantly uses deficit language. Mm. So the reason we're not able to use a lot of progressive methods is because folks come at us with the language, your children are not performing well enough on these tests. And until they do, they become more restrictive rather than less restrictive, Mm. I guess. And when I say they, I mean usually the districts that oversee what things look like in a quote-unquote struggling school. Mm -hmm. We know in a classroom instructional environment, when you have students learning, if you become more oppressive and restrict their freedoms more, they learn less. They enjoy it less. The more oppressive you become, the less learning actually happens. They'll be compliant, but there may not be a whole lot of learning. And so what we need to do, in my opinion, is take a look at the oppressive practices that are happening in urban schools. Take a look at what's going on in these schools that are so amazing that they're constantly telling us we need to model ourselves after and see whether the oppressive practices exist there too, because I'm pretty sure they don't. Mm -hmm. And then instead of looking at it as, well, they earned their place with regard to not being oppressed by having students who perform, instead of looking at it that way, Maybe looking at it as if we give a little bit more autonomy and a little bit more freedom to try some new things to these schools that are quote-unquote struggling, perhaps there won't be a need for so much strangulation in the way that things look. And when I say strangulation, when I say oppressive practices, I mean the over-reliance on discipline. I mean the control 
of not only how and where and when students move their bodies, but how they show mastery. Because if the only way that we will accept a student showing mastery is on a test that was written by people who grew up in and learned in conditions completely dissimilar from theirs, of course they will never pass it. And of course they will never meet the expectation that they perform in a way that is equal to their white counterparts in suburbia. And as I, w- I was thinking back on some of what you said earlier, that community is one of the kind of the undergirding aspects. How does that match up with sitting in your own individual seats and filling out a bubble sheet? I think that's something actually just about that ritual that we do is so antithetical to any sense of community or collaboration. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it drains the spirit of the child who comes from a community that is centered around collectivism. Mm. Well, Julia, it's been a joy talking to you today. You can find Julia's work online at juliaetorres.blog. Julia, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you so much. It was a blast. And if anyone wants to talk further about any of these things, if you heard something that really resonated with you, I just encourage people to reach out. I love talking with educators. It is a passion of mine. So please reach out via email or DM me on Twitter. Hit me up, at me, include me in conversations. I'm always happy to connect with my educator, Pete. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julia. And that concludes this episode of TG2Cast. If you'd like more information, check us out on our website at teachersgoinggradeless.com or our Facebook group. You can also follow us on Twitter at TG2Chat. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you get future installments. Thank you.